Cineboys to Cinemen episode 35. 35. 35. Hope you're well, uh, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Yes. Been a while. It's been a, very, a long old time. Been it's a been long old time. Circumstances, yeah. Uh, yeah. Kind of wedged its way into the uh, the regular schedule. Yeah. Holiday. Good, obviously. Oh, yeah. Uh, illness, not so good. The last vestiges of which are clinging to my, um, my lungs and yeah. esophagus. So if you hear me sort of doing my best Doc Cotton impression, <laughs> so I try and laugh at many of your upcoming hilarious jokes. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah, I apologise for that in advance. And then the TV broke. The, tri- the, tri- the trifecta of disaster, apart from the holiday bit. Which <laughs> was uh, a killer. And I'm not going to watch any of the films during our exhaustive research and planning on my phone or laptop. I'm a purist. Absolutely not. Need so. a cinema or cinema-esque experience. Exactly, yeah. <clears throat> this week, Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah. Scorsese, a film we've been both looking forward to for a long time. We've had this one earmarked for a wee while. Um, obviously, is it Scorsese? That'll lend itself to big old chatter about his work nice we're not going to talk too much about the famous ones because i feel like we've nattered about those in previous episodes quite a lot and i think it's pretty well trodden ground yeah big time um i know it's sort of like a silly boy cinnamon thing to retread well trodden ground but <laughs> we're going to focus on a couple of his lesser known films yeah uh, after hours and bringing out the dead the latter of which i haven't seen for a very long time so we're looking forward to hear what you, your thoughts on that yeah yeah um, no, I remember really liking it, but it's do you know when it's been such a long time, you know? Mm. So it'll probably like revive the film to me. Oh good. Within, okay. Which I'm looking forward to. Because nice. I did really like it. Yeah. Or my memory of it. Uh and then of course a review of the film itself, which um again looking forward to talking about. Yeah, same. It's been it's been a little while since I've seen it actually, but today I kind of revisited it in sort of doing some tentative research and uh, it all came bubbling back, so which I, th- I think is a good sign. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Shall Lovely. we? Let's do it. Questing the cinematic void. Scorsese. Oh, Scorsese. Uh, is that the correct pr- pronunciation? I have no idea. <laughs> so I think it might be. I don't know where Scorsese. I heard it. I, I heard that somewhere recently that that's just, the right way to say it and everyone I says it wrong. feel like it would be sort of disingenuous for me to attempt that as I'm not like Italian-American. Yeah, and also like 99.6% of everyone in the world calls them Scorsese, so yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll stick to that we'll stick for with now. that, yeah. But yeah. we've acknowledged that we know that there's a, an alternative phrasing for pronunciation, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, kicking off the discussion then, obviously we're talking about the big man himself. Mm. I put a little question out on the Instagram uh, to sort of um, bring us back to the forefront of people's minds. Yeah, WD-40, the old uh, hinges. Indeed. And asking basically <laughs> what everyone's favourite Scorsese film was. Okay, nice. Uh, we've got a few responses. So Dale, mm. a regular commenter, oh. uh, said Wolf of Wall Street or Irishman or Taxi Driver. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, you know, he's got, interestingly enough there, a couple of quite recent ones. Yeah, two. I mean, The Irishman and Wolf of Wall Street have been both in the last 10 years. Yeah. Which is, and also not. Not not the first, not my kind of personal first choice, especially the no. Irishman, which I'd seen twice and I kind of struggled with it the second time. But, oh, wow, okay. Um, I'd be actually quite interested to talk to Dale a bit further about why he's put the Irishman on his list because um, yeah. I, 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 I mean, I liked it and I still like it and I think it's very, you know, it's made, made the Criterion Collection. Yes. Um, but uh, I thought that might kind of fall in the middle. But there we go. Interesting. Yeah, no, I, I like it. I mean, certainly uh, 
Wolf of Wall Street is one of his more the films of which has received more of a mixed critical response. I think. Yeah. So it's nice to see you know it, it coming up in the discussion. I think a lot of I think it fared a lot better with audiences. There's a real crowd pleaser that film for, yeah. for better and worse. Like some yeah. people massively misinterpret what that film's trying to do. Yeah, uh, it sort of had the same sort of thing around its Fight Club. Exactly. Yeah, like yeah. A lot everyone. of people sort of bought into a philosophy of the film, which was based entirely on a misconception. Yeah, which itself the film was critiquing. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a bit strange when that happens. I mean, just as an aside, I remember working in sales in a salesy job, mm. and people talking about that film like it was almost like some kind of bible for sales. This is the problem. And, with it, uh, yeah. and I remember thinking, even then, like, well, that guy went to prison. What he did was illegal. But that yeah. element of his character appeared to have sort of like been glazed over in the eyes of people who had already sort of, I guess, pr- sort of decided before watching the film that this was going to be like, yeah, almost like a visual handbook for being a ruthless <laughs> salesman. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's those scenes at the beginning which are meant to kind of signify that, like, oh, you're with this guy, and you kind of like, you know, his, his kind of ruthless very manipulative approach to selling stock is is hilarious to watch and very like you know it's DiCaprio literally like swearing at the phone yeah and, yeah you know doing all that all that kind of sh- all that spiel uh not helped by the fact it's DiCaprio who is naturally very charismatic yeah I, yeah I think the film turns that on its head in the second half much yeah. like a lot of yeah, like, yeah Scorsese yeah. does it DiCaprio a lot yeah, like, yeah you're kind of meant to be with him but then you're not <laughs> yeah um but yeah, unfortunately, the charisma bled into the into into a, into a lot of people's eyes. It sort of made it seem like he was a hero, which is troublesome. But that's Agreed. not, you know, yeah. I still love the film. I think it's great. I like the film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think I think I've seen it twice. The second time, the more troubling aspects of the film, I think, thematically in that context, bothered me more. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think Scorsese is trying... That's not his intention. I don't think he's wanting you to come away from the film thinking, God, Belfort was a genius. Yeah. What a legend. <laughs> yeah, <know>? yeah. Um, <laughs> but, it, you know, I think there's enough space in the film, clearly, for that mm. interpretation. Yeah. Which I think yeah. is why there's such a mixed critical response. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. And The Irishman's a great choice as well. I really like the film I've only seen the once mm. but as a sort of mediation of not only sort of Scorsese's own life as he's coming to the closing stages as horrible uh, as that is to say you know? yeah yeah he's, he's said that as himself, legacy so. yeah. uh, you know and the gangster genre itself which mm. is sort of changing and, and something of which Scorsese had a huge part in sculpting certainly at the Italian-American identity or oh, the Italian-American yeah. gangster I should say those things aren't mutually excuse- exclusive <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble um, <laughs> but you, you know like I think it, I think it was a really powerful sort of reflection on that I'd be I'd like to watch it again and see if some of the sort of um, the only issue I remember having with the film was the de-aging yeah. and how it clearly didn't work with De Niro in the more physical no, his yeah, role. his gait just wasn't up to the no. up to scratch, was it? No. Uh, that was well, that's one of the reasons why I'm not so hot on that film. Uh, I think it has a problem with pacing as well. Like, I mean, I'm gonna try to stray away from this topic because it is like I'm kind of it's a broken record thing, but it is really long. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I watched it in a single sitting because I kind of thought it deserved my attention for that long. Yeah, 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 I agree. But I, I did find. And this is notably something Killers, Killers of the Flower. I mean, I didn't, I don't think that suffered from it nearly as much. But um, my God, it is, a, it is hard. It's a hard one to not pause because mm. there's, there's moments which naturally lapse into kind of more 
well i guess not more like more like less exciting territory and it's a lot more meditative and still interesting still yeah, really, really well crafted in the context of the aforementioned themes but yeah i can see that for a lot of people that would be quite a make it more of a sort of a slog i guess yeah just a difficult you know it's hard to maybe there was just the mood i was in the second time again like i said i saw it the first time i thought it was excellent um but that, i don't know that there, there is something to be said about that kind of blank check status he's yeah. got now and how i don't know how he gets away with making his film so long i fucking love it yeah but i could yeah yeah it's because it's netflix mean. i suppose it's a streaming service it doesn't matter how long they are now like and yeah. even with killers of the flower moon that's apple so yeah yeah exactly they're not going to care how long it is the more the merrier really isn't it it's, yeah it's not like the cinema release is going to be the be all and end all of how wow. this, this film makes money so they were probably delighted when he was like, I'm probably going to make this three and a half. Yes. <laughs> I also think as well, like these streaming services, there's so much of a debate as to their impact on the industry. Mm. And obviously like the, there's a sort of view that streaming is sort of killing the cinematic experience. And I think the way that streaming companies offset that criticism is by employing or giving almost like a carte blanche to big well-established arty filmmakers to just make whatever they like yeah here's 200 um, million make something that isn't for a franchise like yeah yeah which is unheard of like you know the, the yeah. big studios away from streaming won't mm. be doing that no. um and i think you know that's sort of another sort of element of how complicated this sort of debate is i guess about the role of streaming services and the and the platforms and yeah. how they've impacted the way in which people engage with the art form, I guess. Yeah, and I yeah. think the way they offset that is by basically going. Scorsese, three and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fuck it. You know? <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. People can pause it. Doesn't matter. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, sacrilege, but true. What was Dale's third film? Really quickly, sorry. Uh, Taxi Driver. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Goes without saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Straight in there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Film uh, angle said oh. Goodfellas and After Hours. Oh, they they said After, after Hours. hours yeah, they? I don't know which member of. Maybe maybe that was both of them, both one of one each. Maybe they mutually have. Maybe they watched it together at some point. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe they've done it on their podcast. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. I didn't think yeah. that would come up. Maybe. Well, you'd be delighted, lads, because well, that'll be a film of which will take up quite a big chunk of the episodes. So. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Lydia also says Goodfellas. Yep. And Flynn, also a regular commenter, says Aviator. I, f- I totally forgot about The Aviator. Yeah. I liked that film. I like the film too. Again, yeah. it's one that I watched a really long time ago, but I remember really liking it, mm. and I still sort of feel it doesn't get as much love. Yeah. So I think he's, yeah, good Excellent. to bring up. I mean, Goodfellas as well. I mean, that, yeah. It's the kind of thing that I really would rather, as much as I love the film, I'd rather not get into that because type in Goodfellas podcast into Spotify and you'll, there'll be about 300 odd. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Same with Taxi Driver. but um, And we probably Avia. waffled about those films quite a lot anyway. I think we have. They've yeah. come up in the past. But yeah, ex- excellent choices, yeah. And um, Ollie also, sorry, dear Ollie, Casino. Yes. Okay, yes. Great film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I liked that a lot. There's a really na- naff cut in it. You think you might know what cut I mean? There's a cut where uh, Robert De Niro's getting blown up in the car. Spoilers, uh, <laughs> and um, <laughs> uh, yeah, he gets blown up, right? But it yeah. cuts to a dummy, and it's really obvious. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> Something yeah. about that that cut 
one cut. The film's like three hours. That one cut ruins it for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it is, uh, yeah, it is a great movie and probably one of his best shot. I'd say best shot and also some of the most striking wardrobe choices. <laughs> yeah, De Niro yeah. looks fucking great in that film. Yeah, I mean, he, does. he looks great in most Scorsese films. I mean, that's how you de-age him. Yeah, 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 with big collars. Yeah. yeah. But no, it's good. It's good to see some people responding. Thank you very much for that. And Yeah. Um, you know, but it's obviously, he's a filmmaker that has endeared himself to so many people, not just people that are necessarily quote-unquote cinephiles, you know. Mm. He's a filmmaker that has broken outside of the confines of, not necessarily confines, but he's broken out of the sort of realm of just being like a sort of, yeah, you know, uh, someone that... Film, art house, art house, house film fans yeah. would would love artist, yeah. um, and I think a lot of that boils down to sort of a lot of the sort of obviously the films he's made, mm. obviously, um, yeah. but his output is very much in line with or has dictated a lot of like tastes more broadly speaking. I yeah, think. yeah, completely. Yeah, I think like Goodfellas. I mean, that is like the definitive gangster film. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, not you know, most people have seen Goodfellas. If you said you know, well, I'm sort of paraphrasing the first line of the film because I've forgotten it now. <laughs> but you know, ever since I was a kid, I always wanted to be a gangster. You know, yeah, like, I think I think that's about. Yeah, 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 everyone fucking knows that line. Yeah, and there's the sh- the shot of him running away from an explosion, which is amazing as well. Yeah, yeah. As a yeah. kid, he's like he's like twelve, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. that's great. Um, better than The Godfather, I think. Is that a controversial Ooh, opinion wow. in um, in uh, this day and age? I don't know. Like, I, it's funny. I I need to rewatch The Godfathers because it's like films that again, like, you know, everyone tells you you have to watch and you watch them and then mm. you sort of never really. I haven't watched them since. Oh uh, yeah, um, okay. Yeah, so I could do, times. but I think in terms of enjoyment, moment to moment enjoyment, I think Goodfellas is probably better. I put it this oh, way. Uh, yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Because The Godfather is. I mean, it, there's a reason why it's like was half the, like half the planet's favourite film for so many years but there's something about Goodfellas which is a little bit more magical I don't know why like I could chuck uh, it on you know I yeah, don't know if yeah. I could chuck The Godfather on I know what you mean um, yeah 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 and there's a bit it's something fizzy about it that like yeah is it's a lot more tantalising The Godfather seem it's like a sepia toned version of it and yeah. you know uh, but both both have their merits of course but um, Goodfellas takes the biscuit for me Ooh, fair enough yeah. Um, I mean, Scorsese obviously is is someone that I don't want to say obviously he's, he's like Tarantino explicitly, but he's a filmmaker that has a deep sort of love for the art form and is always pushing that. Oh yeah, uh, and and yet despite this sort of wealth of knowledge that has clearly impacted the work that he's made, you know he can still have that appeal to mainstream audiences. Yeah, yeah. and that's where I think he's quite similar to Tarantino. I think Tarantino is far more overt in yeah. the way he sort of showcases his passion for film in the sense that he just like lifts scenes from other films or yeah. like motifs or ideas or even like narratives in the case of Django. Obviously he changed a lot um yeah. a lot of it for obvious reasons, but yeah. You know, there's not many filmmakers that can do that. No, yeah, you're right. They've got such a like stark appreciation for the art form going back to effectively its conception you know he's using all these tropes and kind of clearly learned a lot from f- a lot of films in sort of the th- 30s and 40s but he he kind of you can tell that he also knows he's got a play to an audience as well so he 
you know, he peppers it with technological innovation sometimes. Like in the case of the Irishman, yeah, it didn't. Some of it was dodging; it didn't really work. But the whole face replacement stuff—that was all new. Like Hugo, he's done three D and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a really interesting mix, and uh, you can tell he sort of learnt as you watch his filmography in sequence. You can tell him you can he's sort of learning stuff. Yeah, yeah, uh, and growing as well in terms yeah. of relationship with the themes that tend to permeate through most of his films. Mm, yeah, and that's another thing which I love so much about him. Like even the films that feel sort of so far removed from his experience are still sort of deeply personal films. They feel personal. You know, yeah. ideas of like faith. Mm. Oh uh, God, you yeah, know, it's one of the strongest themes in all of his films yeah um, you know uh criminality violence you know mm. these things that loneliness as well loneliness often. Yeah. yeah yeah these are things obviously in and around his life for a real long time yeah yeah um, and i think it's really interesting that he can sort of make these things feel so personal while sort of fusing that with a deep reverence and love for the for the medium and making it immediately apparent you know Oh yeah, yeah, I do think his later films, after sort of Wolf of Wall Street, are going back to sort of maybe away from like that from that mainstream appeal. I think like yeah. films like Silence. Uh, I don't know, if, was that before or after Wolf of Wall Street? It was after. It was yeah, his yeah. next one. After. Yeah, it was. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So Silence and the, you know, the Irishman. Yeah, these films are not necessarily the kind of films that are going to sculpt the landscape of the medium and the way Goodfellas and Taxi Driver did. No, yeah. But yeah, I think I that there's something in that, in him as a filmmaker, responding to the sort of changes, the seismic changes in the industry. Yeah. You know, he's been very, obviously, very vocal about his criticisms of, like, Marvel. Yeah. And the yeah. way, like, the cinema is going. And he's been, you know, talking a lot about streaming as well. You mm. know, like, so he is someone that obviously is very passionate about it. And he's possibly alienated a lot of potential people yeah in terms of like people like fans um because i think we sort of talked about that before and particularly with his criticisms of marvel you know i don't think his criticisms were that sort of like scathing but it was enough for a lot of people to bite back at him wasn't it massively yeah that was a strange odd thing i mean what he said is entirely justified as well doesn't doesn't matter he didn't say everyone who loves theme parks are idiots yeah yeah. he just said they're like theme parks aka they're like you know they're created for mass appeal mass consumption that's what he meant by it Yeah, yeah i don't think he meant to say you're all stupid for going to watch these instead of my films Mm. like i think he was just kind of he was trying to drive a wedge through the medium i guess in in that like you have these films these are the kind of films i like to make and people like david fincher like to make and like you know a lot of a lot of other directors want to do this is the kind of stuff we want to do and then you have this as well which is like you know just so you know this is like mass produced for like mass consumption that i think i don't think he was being he was criticizing them, yeah he definitely doesn't like them i think no. i think it's immediately apparent i mean not that i know him but yeah you know we, you know we did have to speak on the you know, <laughs> you know i do think it, it to me anyway it feels really apparent that he really doesn't like those films and i think mm. he was being quite measured in his criticism considering that yeah you know, he's really passionate about this and it matters to him a lot that, you know, people can engage with a wide variety of films from a wide variety of eras and cultures. Yeah. And the presence of a huge billion dollar sort of interlinked franchise that not only dominates Hollywood, but as dominates the minds of every other studio to try and replicate. Yeah. It's yeah. clearly going to have an impact on the 
the viewing habits of audiences worldwide, but also cinema owners or cinema companies themselves. They're not going to take a punt <laughs> as regularly or as willingly when they know that Spider-Man 8, will, will, <laughs> you know, will give them, yeah. you know, that get the sort of bums on seats. So I think, you know, I think his criticisms, as, as you say, are valid. You know, they are... Yeah mass mainstream appeal we don't want to sort of talk about this too much because we talk about it a lot and have done and probably will do in later episodes but oh, yeah, yeah. i think in the context of our discussion which is of course about him more overtly i think and in the context of his films i think that they almost feel like more overt in response to that and i don't know if yeah. that's necessarily true or fair to say but we were talking earlier about the the runtime in his films like obviously he's always had quite long movies but the fact that these are quite long I don't know. It almost feels like a sort of like no, no. You're going to sit in it. You're going to sit and watch this. You're going to yeah. sit and enjoy this. If you like, you know, this is like a, a a fucking film, a proper film. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know if that's arrogant because he never really comes across that arrogant to me in interviews. But then I, I am aware that I'd sort of love him quite a lot. So <laughs> maybe I don't want to sort of superimpose negative traits on him. But I think he is just passionate, and I yeah. think he just wants people to remember that there is so much more to mm. offer. Yeah. I think you know. I, I think you could be mistaken for arrogance how he speaks, but you, he is. He just loves it. He clearly loves it. He doesn't want to talk about anything else. Yeah, uh, literally, he just wants to talk about cinema, and he says that word in literally every single interview. Yeah, and I kind of yeah. love that, and uh, the way he pronounces it as well is so eloquent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He he is a very much a purist, and I admire him greatly for that. Yeah, and I, I agree with a lot he has to say about Marvel. More so in like the recent years and like yeah 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 the release of old uh, the Marvels which is not done well I'm sure he's rubbing his hands together about that <laughs> yes yeah lowest yeah. domestic over you know that kind of stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not looking good for that for the franchise there but no I, yeah I think it's interesting and thinking about him you know in terms of his own influence as you know his seismic right yeah I mean, you oh, know, he's a new Hollywood. Guy Ritchie basically nicked his idea and nobody noticed for ages, but it's true. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, and a lot of people kind of over... Even his camera work and stuff, I've got a unique his camera work can be. Mm. And that's mm. that's present in like even his early work, like After Hours and Mean Streets and stuff. Like mm. he's not a, he's, He does that kind of dolly zoom really quick. And there's one in Killers of the Flower Moon, which is on mm. Brendan Fraser, which is great. Yeah, <laughs> he's yeah, quite, yeah. He doesn't do it a lot, but when he does, you're like, oh, that's like a kind of Scorsese-esque zoom. Um, yeah. I tried to, try to do one once. Did not work. <laughs> I'd do it probably because I did it with an office chair. I'm not sure. Uh, well... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you would, uh, wouldn't fault you for trying. Oh, waiting for that email. Yeah. Please. <laughs> he was New Hollywood, right? He was like the, the, the filmmaker, the right filmmaker for the new movement of cinema. Yes, yeah. That sort of more introspective, critical cinema. Yeah. And I think even in his more sort of stylistically or thematically exuberant films, I think there is a very sort of, you know, he's always almost visualising this chronology of America. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Like, okay, yeah. And I think that's why Killers of the Flower Moon is so important because it is about a period of time, a period of history, which perhaps isn't so well known mm. through the lens of a genre that almost contributed to why it's so unknown or why there's such a warped revisionism of the history around that period. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's really interesting that he that, that he made this film in that context. Oh, yeah. And I think it's, even with like After Hours, it is like, arguably one of the wackier films in his filmography 
Yes. And I, I mean, and wacky uh, sounds a bit cheap in the context of the discussion because I think the film is, you know, as, as sort of weirdly hilarious and as it is, it is also quite a dark and sad movie. Uh, yeah, very And it's very cynical. critical of very sort of the, the kind of themes and ideas that I think some of his other films deal with quite well. Yeah. But it's like he's put those ideas onto basically like planes, trains, and automobiles, you know, and just <laughs> yeah, in, in yeah. the sense that there's a guy who can't catch a break, yeah, and and everything is going wrong for him, and every everything that he tries, like in order to get to his destination. In case of planes, trains, it's is well, it's, it's his house in both in both cases. But with Scorsese's like version of that, I, I think planes, trains are actually made afterwards, but um. It is. It's kind of mixed in with his trademark cynicism mm. uh, and sort of trademark dark alley seediness. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't mean he's seedy. I mean like his shots are quite often just present a really bleak, nightmarish view of city life. It's also quite sort of because it's always you know obviously After Hours is set in in, in New York as yeah. a few of his other films are, mm. and even though there is this sort of view. Which you know, which as you say, focuses on the sort of dark underbelly of urban life. There's a there's a romantic view as well. There's an infatuation because the, it's a yeah. city that he loves. He was born there. He was raised there. I don't know if he was born there actually. I know he was raised there, but you know, it's um, should in the research. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it, there's a love there too. Yeah, which I which we even feel in like Taxi Driver, which is really strange given that a lot of the film is seen from the perspective of Travis Bickle as he just creeps around the streets <laughs> in this in his taxi, which is this vessel yeah. which is just filled full of like hatred and and all of the sort of emotions that have come as a result of being alienated and yeah and and, and, and spit on and left yeah. to sort of rot. Yeah. You know, like but even through that lens, there's something still sort of vaguely romantic about the city. I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm sort of reading into it a bit too much. No, I think you're right. It's funny. Like if you walk around a city at night and you, you it's like simultaneously terrifying and beautiful. Yeah. So you yeah. see all these constructions, these glittering out of focus lights and stuff like that, and you're like, that's amazing. But also, I feel so isolated and lonely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a very you know, there's a sort of juxtaposition there that's quite confusing. And he is really good at communicating oh, that's, that. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. Come here, you. Didn't even write that down. That just that came from the soul. Came from did. the soul. That's what you get from Cinema Voice to Cinema. Oh. Pure soul. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about After Hours a little bit then, because yes, yeah. So, it, for me, the my sort of journey with this film, if you will, mm. is it's like a film that I've always really wanted to watch and never been able to watch it. Never been able to catch it. It's never played in the cinemas. At least I've never seen it play in a cinema nearby. And it never had like a, an English DVD or Blu-ray release, and if it did, it was super fucking hard to find. Yeah, okay, I can imagine um, that because it, yeah, it's fallen. In terms of filmography, he sort of outdid himself quite quickly after that, I suppose. Um, yeah, it's not one that like when you say, you know, Scorsese. Very few people, apart from the film angle, <laughs> would say <laughs> after yeah. hours. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Criterion. Lo and behold, oh, there keep we go. Plugging them, but they yeah. they did they released it, and mm. I 
bought it immediately <laughs> uh, knowing that obviously we we're going to do this episode and also just being incredibly curious about this film and it's a curiosity that intensified in very much the same way that Sorcerer freaking Sorcerer okay, like yeah. there was no way to access it in England and when they released it on Blu-ray like it just the fucking my interest went like skyrocketed yeah, you know? and as soon yeah. as it arrived I was like I've got to watch this film Yeah, and um, yeah I, mean, I just was sort of blown away by how good it was it's fantastic isn't it it's so it is there are moments of overt humour. Mainly, uh, it's Griffin Dunn, isn't it? Yeah. Griffin June Dunn, I'm not sure. Um, Something like that. He plays it reasonably straight, but is also the whole thing surrounding his character is just permanently, almost permanently exasperated. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's he's not a, he's not a tremendously nice guy. I think he, he's no. sort of semi-well-intentioned, Although also quite quite clearly looking for sex, that's sort of how yeah, his, yeah. his night starts is that he meets a nice girl in a cafe, and he's like quids in basically. That's yeah. what you know. He's yeah. a bit of a yuppie in that sense, but yeah, he's a sort of poster boy for the sort of uh, the eighties like white collar story of success, isn't he? Yeah, wannabe Belfort. Kind yeah, of, you know? yeah, yeah. He's, he's never going to really rise the ranks, um, so he wants. Presumably wants some sort of quick release, I guess. Or an escape. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, it all goes very south after a series of events, some his fault, some not, but it, he's kind of always involved in them and the the actions that he takes never lead to anything good. And the girl that he's initially trying to pursue, uh, she she dies, right? Spoilers. Yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, and it sets off this chain of events which leads to him basically not being able to get home. Uh, yeah. And uh, it's just kind of about his evening, really, and how he reacts to certain things and the people he bumps into, including... I and mean, this is weirdly a um, kind of six degrees of Kevin Bacon-esque roundabout way going back to John Hughes. Catherine O'Hara... Uh, oh yeah, he's in Home Alone. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. also uh, Kevin's dad. I can't remember the name of the actor. Oh god, yeah, he's yeah. in it as well. Of course, and you're like, yeah, they're, they're both yeah. in fucking Home Alone. Oh, <laughs> John, yeah, yeah. John Hughes obviously produced Home Alone, and also uh, directed plays Trains and Automobiles. So they're kind go. of all circles back round. Yes, <laughs> um, but it's a great, it's a great film. After hours, it really it's it's quite chrome looking, sort mm. of desaturated, very eighties. Um, yeah, it's sort of indicative of the eighties, isn't it? That's yeah, it. and it's the kind of film where you're like, okay, you can have someone literally die, uh, a cent- relatively central character like die in the first act, and also have Catherine O'Hara l- l- speeding around in an ice cream truck, looking for him in a kind of screwball yeah. way, and it, it exists in the same film. It's really strange. Um, yeah, I loved it. Thought it was great. <laughs> it really, it yeah, I think it's interesting you sort of pointed out. Uh, the sort of main character his sort of desire to escape because um, I think it's really interesting it's quite a telling part of of the film in terms of its the view of that sort of white collar worker yeah yeah because at the start of the film it's you know very explicitly clear that he is obviously drowning in the sort of bureaucracy of this job mm. and the soulless nature of the job yeah and all of the sort of subsequent success that he gets from that role 
does nothing. It doesn't f- give them any joy or any happiness. Yeah. And there's just this gnawing sense of loneliness and alienation that comes from this way of life that yeah. everyone tells you is the life to have. <laughs> it's a very sort of common critical angle to take, I guess. What the film does very interestingly with that, though, is that, you know, he goes out and, and he just he goes, fuck it, I am going to go find this girl. Yeah. I am going to have a wild night. I'm going to break free from, like, you know, and, and behave in a way which people who have had who crave my success or have my success would think ill of. And then he sort of dips his toe in this sort of like darker side of life and immediately wants to retreat back to the life that he claims to sort of hate. Yeah, yeah. And it really reminded me, have you ever seen the film Lost in America? I have not, no. It's like uh, Albert Brooks comedy. Uh, Not, again, sort of saw it fairly recently but it is sort of about that it's about that sort of desire to escape this way of life like the well-entrenched sort of hyper excessive capitalism of the 1980s mm. and how soul-destroying it is but there's an element of comfort there right that is almost sort of forgotten about until these characters are in a position of strife and then <laughs> yeah, they go yeah. oh shit and they panic and they and they try to live off the beaten track i'm sort of very speedily talking about a film which is fantastic i really you know advise okay. you to check it out yeah, but, yeah. and again it sort of talks about that and it almost makes the criticism even more the criticism of the system more it lingers with you more and it hits you harder because even the desire to escape is almost sort of cultivated by the same system and it makes it even more inescapable and it's right. sort of more depressing okay that even yeah, the desire yeah. to escape either you retreat back to it because it's the only thing you know and it gives you that comfort that you sort of hate yeah or even like the methods of escape are as a result of that system that you want yeah, to break away from okay. it's really sad and i think it's, it left me with a similar feeling to that in yeah. after hours it felt like that yeah um, like the, the cyclical nature of the narrative in that he literally gets dropped off at his work like he's just he's in the most <laughs> yeah. ridiculous I do remember scenario the, yeah like yeah. Where, how's this film gonna end yeah, it's yeah. perfect right? <laughs> it's fantastic yeah there's also a great uh, thing he does with the office scenes right at the beginning and the end and the camera like properly swoops round everywhere and it's it's like the most exciting camera work you can see, but and yet because it, of the setting, it's still boring. Yeah, I think that was really intentional. Yeah, where it's yeah. just swooping around this office, like whoa, look at this, look at, and it's just all beige nonsense. I, yeah, I think yeah. that's very intentional. Um, there's also throughout the film that sort of a recurring motif that he's looking at his watch, yeah. and that definitely speaks to what you're saying about him instantly regretting wanting to go out and having like a wild night. And break free of the constraints that he's kind of built for himself. Yeah, And yeah. yet, as soon as he gets there, he's just looking at his watch the whole time. He's like, I've got to keep time still. Like, there's, yeah, something that, yeah. there's something about him which I think, as much as he'd hate to admit it to himself, he likes the lifestyle. and he's, Or at least he feels comforted by yeah. the yuppie lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. More yeah. so than he thinks. So, yeah. Which is really sad. Yes, it is, yeah. And Griffin... Griffin Dunn plays it brilliantly. He's brilliant in it, yeah. It's very funny. Uh, yeah, he's great. I mean, you know, if you're an American werewolf fan, it's always it's a delight to watch him in a different role. Yeah, yeah, I thought um, that, yeah. Not ripped to shreds as well. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's also like a real sort of, one of the most common phrases I hear, I heard after watching the film or read was that the film was very Kafka-esque. Okay, yeah, you know, yeah. That, you know, and I think... <laughs> Sometimes these sort of statements can be banded around willy-nilly. Uh, and I think, yeah, okay, like the word surreal. 
Right, like I'm yeah. sort of hyper aware of using the word surreal because it's a word that's sort of quite overused. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you, I panic about using it, especially when you're sort of on a film podcast and it's yeah. there forever. But, you know, Kafkaesque is something that comes up quite a lot. And, you know, I think to me, it, this film is like one of the best representations of that idea. Yeah, yeah. And it's sort of like that process of disempowerment via like emasculation. I think it's a very emasculating film. Yeah, oh yeah, big time. Through like the obs- obscurification of the motivations of the characters he meets. So there's no yeah. real sort of clear idea of like what the characters are going through mm. and what sort of dictates their behavior. Yeah. A lot of the characters he meets they're in the they're, they're in the sort of in the throngs of sort something in their life and he's sort of swept up in it and yeah. taken with the, in the current with it. Yeah, yeah. And he has no control and no power. And as someone that is his white collar worker is probably used to quite a lot of control and power in some aspects of his life. Yeah, there's something quite demasculating out from that perspective, and that obscurification narratively lends itself to the sort of idea of the Kafkaesque critique of bureaucracy or any aspect of like you know the increasingly modern world. You know, like you know the whole point is is that if you think about chiefly of his critique of bureaucracy is that you know every person knows a little bit about something but no one knows enough about the whole picture okay yeah yeah. you know so Mm. like i think that's something that is sort of really chilling about the human experience collectively that it can feel like omnipresent but never quite sort of properly connected right um I don't know, like it just really that in that sense the film felt really quite powerful and a really sort of you know, one of the best representations of that feeling, that feeling of powerlessness, that feeling that you, we, we've all had when you're trying to, like, deal with, like, a big, like, not to sort of cheapen the discussion about Kafka, but to bring it to an everyday context, that feeling of disempowerment you feel when you're, like, being wrong done by a business or a big company and you're trying to speak to someone and you can never get the information you need or anything yeah. like that. Like, mm. I think by that by its nature is quite disempowering. And I think that's, like, a sm- tiny sort of feeling of that is the kind of thing that Kafka was really trying to, yeah. you know really sort of zero in on and how sort of disempowering it is and how terrifying it is to be lost in something that no one really quite knows what's going on but somehow it still exists and still goes on yeah yeah you know and there's you something get... really horrible about that yeah you're passed from person to person aren't you yeah kind of yeah. happens in after hours he just sort of flits between people and is gets absolutely nowhere he just he has experiences but there's never a resolution to his kind of angst. Yeah. <laughs> and it's always just, it, yeah, it's never ending. It's the night seemingly is never ending. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's very kind of Kaf- Kafka. Yeah. Can't say it. Kafka esque. Definitely. We've said it a lot now, but uh, also the bit where he gets plastered in newspaper and then breaks free of it. That's kind of weirdly, I don't know, metamorphosis or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Breaking free of it, but then I guess the joke is that he hasn't actually broken free of anything. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the joke anyway. Well, <laughs> we come here for the hot takes. Yes. <laughs> that's your hot take. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. No, I just think it's a really, it's a really fascinating movie in, in that context. It's testament to the to the presentation of those ideas and the way Scorsese again implements his own stylistic and thematic sensibilities into the film. That a film that feels again quote unquote wacky in the context yeah. of against you know his other movies, it, it feels like quite relatable. That sense of disempowerment, yeah, uh, the sense of sort of feeling lost amongst it all, mm. and then there being a greater level of sadness of even though you're lost amongst it all, 
you're still sort of comfortable. Yeah, it's like yeah. you know the the crumbs of comfort that you snatch on and hold on to. Um, I don't know, quite sad. Yeah, yeah, it is quite a sad film. I, I'm sadder than I thought because I was recommended to it as a as if it was a comedy. Someone Alfie yeah. recommended. Oh to yeah, me. yeah, he's a big fan of it, isn't he? Yeah, 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 and um, and I was struck by how sort of there was a streak of bitterness about it, which is I mean not to the film's detriment at all, but um, yeah, it was disarming that. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of Scorsese films are about a sort of moral sickness, mm. be it like a individual moral sickness of like one character, i.e. taxi driver, or like a collective moral sickness, like organised crime. Yeah. Or- and how that relationship with the organised crime has with the wider state is reflective of a broader moral sickness within the sort of economic or social systems that mm. facilitate it. You know, I think his films are very, I think, anchored in that. I mean, Killers of the Flower Moon, you know, the oh, dis- destruction of First Nations, like that is the ultimate moral sickness. Yeah, right? yeah, and exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's at the birth of America, right? The birth yeah. of not just the America that we know now, but, you know, the, not to get sort of too highfalutin, but <laughs> a wanky, but the, the economic system that we live in now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It sort of started, started there, really. Really burst then, didn't it? Yeah. In the way in which we know it, or started to know it. Mm. Yeah, great film, really good. Yeah. Beautifully shot as well, beautiful. Oh yeah, really surprisingly, ha- like just how nice it sort of burst. I-, I watched it on Amazon. Amazon is notorious for like, have, like shit shitty transfers. transfers. Yeah, Still yeah. looks amazing. There you I'm go. sure the Blu-ray, the Criteria Blu-ray looked better. But oh I'm yeah, to oh god yeah, on the new TV as well, <laughs> filmmaker mode. <fucking> <laughs> <hell. laughs> nice. Yeah, it's yeah. Like showing upstairs. Georgia, come look. <laughs> it's like you care. <laughs> the saturation in these blues. Yeah, yeah, Unbelievable. yeah. Unbelievable. As the cinematographer intended, presumably. <laughs> yeah, oh, excellent nice. film. Again, lesser known. Um, yeah. Seek it out. Seek it out. It is on Amazon, but get it on Blu-ray. I didn't I'd know say. it was on Amazon. Oh, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. Um, I was surprised by, surprised by that as well. Um, mm. But uh, you had to rent it. It was like £2.50. Worth it. Yeah, completely. Worth it. Uh, let's move on to one of the other sort of two lesser known Scorsese films we'll talk about uh, and that is Bringing Out the Dead yes uh, a film as sort of alluded to in the intro been a long time since I've seen it I remember having like a sort of half like a really brief conversation with some university about it and he was saying about how it was like low-key one of Scorsese's best films mm. with Nick Cage and I'd never heard of it until someone spoke to me about it and then I watched it straight after that got it on DVD from I can't remember where, and then that's the last time I've seen it. So, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> my memory of it's pretty shaky. So, I'm interested to cool. Hear what yeah. you have to say about it. So, yeah, it's it's sort of the kind of cousin to Taxi Driver in a sense. In that, yeah, it's about uh, an ambulance driver played by Nicolas Cage who is suffering from burnout. I think that's the difference between him and Travis Bickle is that he's kind of a good person at heart. He's almost like a Fallen Angel, though, in the sense right, okay, that kind of, yeah, kind of yeah. go back to Scorsese's religious allegory. In there is some really overt religious moments in this. Film yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's kind of you know down to the the medical symbol, the cross, the red cross, and then how that kind of is transplanted from the the cross, as in. Yeah. Although I, I know Scorsese is more of a Catholic upbringing, there is still yeah. some parallels there. Um. Anyway. Uh. Yeah. So it's just about someone who's burnt out because of uh set yeah new york city he's driving around at night with his like mate yeah <laughs> who's yeah. also in the ambulance with him and 
it's just there's like an opioid epidemic that's hit the streets of New York. Uh, I, I think it's like it's called like Red Death or something. It's this new brand of heroin. Oh yeah, yeah, that rings a bell. Um, something like that. And as a result, all of the ERs are rammed, and it's as the the film has this real frenetic energy, which is quite overwhelming even for Scorsese. And so you're kind of with this character. I think his name's Frank uh, on this sort of journey into the descent to hell, but born out of a a kind of a want and a need to help people mm. uh, and it's just it's great and along the way he meets Patricia Arquette but because he's sort of suffering from I mean suffering from all sorts like uh, he can't sleep uh, he's depressed he's like not eating he's I don't know all he thinks about is his job and his desire to help people and he as a result he kind of meets this woman he could, but he can't connect with her and again this is there's a the classic themes are all there, right? You yeah, know, yeah. Loneliness, yeah. Uh, social isolation. It's the know. backdrop of like a, a sort of a, a very literal and uh, thematic sickness with the drug epidemic. Yeah, drug yeah, epidemic, completely. Uh, and you know, unlike unlike your typical mainstream movie, it, it doesn't ever resolve itself, and that's the case with quite a lot of Scorsese films, mm. no, with the notable exception of something like The Aviator, which ends. In a kind of almost ridiculous amount of grand grandiosity, but yeah, with yeah. the majority of his films, there is always it's almost like the only thing that can bring them out of this is circumstance. It's nothing that they can really do themselves because they've been trying and trying and trying throughout the film to to kind of become the person they want to be, and it's never going to happen. The catharsis is going to come from acceptance, not from. A resolution of anything, yeah. Bringing yeah, out yeah. the dead is really good for that kind of thing. Yeah, um, it, it's it's funny though. I, I I can see why the film fell by the wayside. It it's I mean it's, it's hard to market. They should have lent lent more into Taxi Driver. I think when they were marketing it, <laughs> it was like a bit of a financial failure, a bit of a dud, and nobody really remembers it. It's not got any like prestigious releases recently or anything like that. It's just kind of it's on Netflix, you know. It's just sort of there, um, and I think a lot of people took issue with the fact that there was no real resolution or anything like that. Um, okay, but it is. I think it's great. I think it's really, really energetic, but in a quite a negative yeah, way. Yeah. Um, and if you're in the right mood, you know, watching someone spiral into <laughs> chaos yeah. and and un- uncertainty then it is um it's great yeah really yeah the sort of um i remember that the sort of the freneticism of the camera the the editing mm. um Thelma Schumacher right i assume yeah yeah, yeah i think yeah, yeah. The, long time collaborator yeah I mean, and i think a huge part of the reason why those films are so fucking his films are so fucking good you know? oh yeah she's great you know that that freneticism is almost a very sort of overt but necessary representation oh. of the way that the, the sort of mind that is besieged by so many different things is, is operating and how it works and how yeah. it perceives certainly the passage of time yeah. interactions with others mm. you know and I remember thinking that was a really effective visual thing mm. to sort of to you know to you know obviously all films will do that <laughs> to varying degrees but I think oh, this turns out to 11 though like yeah, fucking yeah, yeah exactly. so it's, it's exhausting to watch it's like, you know, if you've had a day at work that's just so hectic 
you're doing six things at once and you don't feel like it's ever going to end and then it finally somehow does and you leave and you feel like you haven't done anything yeah. it's like that feeling in yeah, a film yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. presumably what Nicolas Cage's character Frank is feeling because there's a recurring motif in him he's never able to save anyone uh, and that's quite a horrible sort of theme in the film is recurring theme that he, he he can't like everyone is dying on his watch yeah yeah um, and yet he's so burnt out and so like wired toward like careening towards a goal of being able to save someone and it never happens yeah uh, yeah. yeah and you know like the low key British version would be me coming out of work being like fuck me that was exhausting uh, don't feel like I got anything done though yeah <laughs> <laughs> let's hope tomorrow's better you know that kind yeah, of thing yeah uh, yeah it's great um, both yeah after hours and bringing out the dead definite recommendations from us two I think yeah so, absolutely I need yeah. to rewatch bringing out the dead I do have it I think on DVD but as you say no major re-release no I hope they do I hope someone yeah. like re because with After Hours coming out on Blu-ray like it's sort of a signifier of a, a lost gem in Scorsese's filmography mm. and this is this is absolutely the same thing and it's got yeah, real yeah. merit 100% yeah I'm just waiting for someone to you know someone who presumably recommends this stuff to Criterion or whoever like to, to kind of give it another release because it deserves it wholeheartedly yeah um, yeah 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 real belter mm. let's move on to Killers of the Flower Moon then yeah something we'd earmarked for a long old time and you know I, I remember sort of reading I, you know I'd really try my best not to sort of engage too much with the sort of like reviews or sort of buzz around the film that I'm really looking forward to out of just this sort of fear that you're going to uh, sort of something's going to sort of spill out and spoil it for you yeah or, or create an expectation or or, or or something that you might be worried about like that could be a review that's a bit perhaps a bit lukewarm or yeah, even negative yeah. and then you watch it and you're like fuck they're right you know and it kind of ruins the experience I totally see where you're coming from just you know but it the early buzz you know I think it played it can and everyone loved it and, yeah and it was a film that you know I think it was out of all of his newest films. I think has probably garnered the sort of strongest critical response. I'd say. Mm. I mean, I'm not sure if that's necessarily true. Strolled onto Rotten Tomatoes, that might not be the case. But I just feel like, in comparison to like the reception to The Irishman or to Silence, you know, it's certainly a film that I think has garnered the kind of responses that he's probably more used to in his early work. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I feel that. I, I just feel that about it. I think, given this sort of nature of the film and and its sort of themes and ideas it's obviously very much a part of the discussion in 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 hollywood now yeah in terms of like representation or indeed sort of uncovering parts of history that have been previously obscured yeah oh yeah i was great for that yeah yeah and i think that's possibly part of the reason why it's it's garnered so much success i think so i think scorsese is almost separate from that sort of idea of being woke you know what i mean but he he's just he's always been a champion of like you know if you want to cast some native american cast some there's a giant talent pool there still yeah of course yeah sort of similar to you know prey and prey came oh yeah yeah this is about like First Nations and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. And there's sort of an almost res- there's a resurgence in interest uh, as to you know that period of history, which perhaps hasn't been certainly in the cinematic sense hasn't really been around since something like Dances with Wolves. Yeah, <laughs> you know I, mean? I, th- I think it's you know we'll sort of talk about this now, I guess, in terms of the context of the genre to which most people would be familiar with First Nation mm. uh, natives would be like the Western, and of course, you know the Western 
you know, in terms of classic Hollywood, I'm sure we've talked about this a lot, so I want to sort of bang the point too much, but the Western was the genre to which the American film industry held American ideals aloft to the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Taming the West is the perfect metaphor for that sort of American spirit. Mm, Yeah. You know, that, that sort of sense of freedom and bravery. Yeah, you know all those sorts of things that they want to attribute to themselves. The Western <laughs> was the perfect genre in which to do that. Yeah, and I think that's why it's especially interesting that Scorsese uses the Western for the opposite. Yeah, you know? oh, completely. Um, yeah, you know, to instead pick apart the horrors underneath that sort of enviable facade mm. that the Western was so desperate to construct in terms of how people, you know, the rest of the world views America. And how, indeed, you know, the power structures in charge of America would have been very keen for the world to see. Yeah. Even if you think, I think we've talked about this before as well, like, like 80s in action films, like that sort of Reagan hard body thing. Like, yeah. It almost feels like there's an alignment between the sort of political power at the time and the, the messages of the films, the, the mainstream films that are coming out. Yeah. And it would have been especially the case in classic Hollywood at that time, as obviously studios were had a lot more power over the creative process. And... Obviously, they were probably a lot more sort of entrenched in that sort of conservative traditional ideology that seeked so desperately to to sort of show to the world how pure and brilliant America was. <laughs> so yeah. I think it's really cool that that cool. Yeah, <laughs> been a while. You're cool, Scorsese. Yeah, cool. You. Yeah, yeah. Cheers. Movie's, that's it. And, yeah. and uh, <laughs> your movie's cool. Outro. <laughs> um, you know, it's 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 really fascinating that Scorsese uses the genre for something to sort of unpack the the darkness that was so readily obscured by a lot of those movies at the time oh yeah i mean it, yeah, the whole thing about it is it's like which is a period of history that so yeah despite at school learning about native americans uh this this whole idea of you know the homesteaders coming around and, and imposing a giant cultural change really really quickly was still slightly alien to me yeah yeah um and i and so to see it you know to see that on screen is really really interesting really fascinating and hammers home you know the the idea that the the invaders attitude to the invaders is still really horrendous even after they've been invaded successfully and you know and even when the invaded have benefited financially from like a social structure that was forced on them the idea is live by our rules and we'll leave you alone but oh wait no you know our rules have made you really rich, yeah. <laughs> so we're going to change the rules now. So and like steal your wealth from you. It's like and yeah. this all happened, and it's it was such a, a blind spot for me. For so it was really interesting seeing that on screen. From you know from the the film having like a strong moral stance against all of this, that was really refreshing to see as well. It's just in I don't know if enjoyable is the right word. Maybe it is because. Learning new stuff is enjoyable, and that was really enjoyable to watch. I guess, Just yeah. Like, you you can kind of sit there and be outraged and want to be a better person as a result of it, even if it's temporary, as we've got <laughs> yeah discussed. Um, yeah, that that was just a really fascinating element of the film. Yeah, I think it's interesting you pick up on the idea of of the wealth that the Osage people um, receive as a result of having oil on their land. Yes, that's it, yeah. Because it's like, it's a wealth that they have, but it's almost like they have to play that wealth by the white man settler's rules. It's almost like, and and it's that wealth that makes them easier to pick off because Mm. they drift further, it drifts them further and further away from their 
traditions and their heritage and their culture. There's a lot of sort of explicit mentions of that yeah. in the in the scenes where all like the sort of uh, heads of the family oh, they mean, um, yeah. come together and sort of verbalise their sort of frustration about the situation they're living in. And you know, there's um, they're basically saying this money's kind of polluted them. They still got to play by the white man settlers' rules. Yeah, yeah. They just start to dress the same, yeah. act the same, and and they surrender to vices more readily, and yeah, and it makes them more susceptible or easier to be picked off or mm. to be influenced, or to have you know to be very, very quite literally like you know their way of life diluted. Oh yeah, by, by the settlers, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's there's a scene in the film. It's probably my favourite scenes. Uh, where DiCaprio, Leonardo DiCaprio, who is at this point married to Lily Gladstone's character, Lily Gladstone being of Native American origin, I suppose, at this point, you could, although mm-hmm. I th- maybe she was born into it when it was a lot more pure and it's since been taken over slightly by the sort of more Western ideals. And DiCaprio is so angry that she doesn't want to take insulin. That he has a big fucking tantrum, and it's just it's horrible. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. This that's when that was when it turned for me actually with his character. I was like, okay, I'm not well, I'm not with you anymore. There's something really morally bankrupt and horrible about yeah. you that I can't follow. Um, I think that's meant to be the case, but I think that scene is just uh, it serves as an example of the behaviour that was going on all around the, mm. them. Is is just like no, you must do it our way. Even if you have benefited massively from us, from the rules that we have, we ourselves have created, you still have to do it our way. And in the case of this, although, like, you know, medically speaking, it probably is good that she would have been on this insulin. It's the fact that she, like, has her reasons, you know, her cultural reasons for not wanting to subscribe Mm. wholly to this new Western medicine. Western medicine, yeah. Uh, and his response is just so vile and yeah. horrific, and that's what was going on everywhere. In a broader sense, that is what is was happening to all of the First Nations uh, people and the like, Osage people. Like it was just they were getting poisoned by a new way of living that was almost impossible to resist. You know, sort of overwhelmed and outnumbered, I suppose. And yeah. yeah, that scene, I, I mean, it's just, yeah, I think that's probably my favourite scene for that reason. Yeah, it's sort of like the, it's not just a genocide in in the literal sense of people being murdered en masse mm. and the systems in place that are allegedly there to protect them aren't there. You know, yeah, it's more yeah. like illusory. Yeah, um, but there's also like a sort of cultural genocide. It's like the destruction of their values, and it's all very mm. almost deliberate mm. from the perspective of the settler. You know, they're you know very much like slowly diluting, as I said before, slowly polluting it, and slowly sort of you know driving a wedge between these people and their values. You know, yeah. It's, yeah. It, and in the case Robert De Niro's character is very much huh, he's a piece of shit. He's isn't he? a piece of shit in the film. Yeah, um, he's the architect of that. You know, he's yeah. like tricking them into thinking that he's like friends with them, but really he's just slowly infecting, you know, infecting them, yeah, and making yeah. their lives worse, and and taking mm-hmm. them further away from their culture and their values, and and manipulating them. Yeah, and if you know, and he also manipulates DiCaprio's character. I mean, DiCaprio's character, and this is he's an idiot. Yeah, he's he's not he's not a smart guy. He's a puppet, isn't he? He's yeah. a puppet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and again, that doesn't make his behaviour excusable because by the end, he is just fucking oh, awful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he does do pretty terrible things. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> he does do pretty terrible things from the outset, but 
you know, you get this sense that there's this sort of this complicitness in it is born out of ignorance. Yeah, yeah. It's also born out of fear. And it's also born out of like a, a sense of, you know, wanting a slice of something you feel you, you're you owed. Yes. And it's yeah. something that's greatly amplified by this idea, well, I'm the settler and you're this. Why have you got that? It yeah. should be mine. Mm. And that's really interesting. And it it focuses on the idea. And it actually leads me to a question okay, I want to give on. you on the basis of that, because there has been some criticism leveled towards the film okay, about not presenting the perspective from the Osage enough. Okay, and it yeah, being a lot yeah. more white centric. Mm. I wonder what your thought process was on that because I think I don't know. I've got my view, but I wonder what you thought. Uh, no, yeah, you're right. I think it's star power might be slightly the reason why people think that. Obviously, DiCaprio being a like star of like huge, huge star. Yeah, and the story does focus quite a lot on him. Mm-hmm. There, I mean, Lily Gladstone gets plenty of screen time. Mm-hmm. She is bedridden for a lot of it, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that is, you know, it's a plot thing. That's a narrative thing, and it, it that doesn't need to happen because that's what happened. Uh, but it does. It is to the de- detriment of perhaps the, the perspective of the Assage people a little bit. Mm. Uh, and we do linger on William Hale, like Robert De Niro playing. Oh yeah, William yeah. Hale, yeah. And uh, and DiCaprio's character quite a lot, and it's about their scheme quite a lot, almost, and it almost teeters on the Wolf of Wall Street thing slightly of being like, what, who am I meant to be rooting for here? Uh, uh, luckily, uh, it is a lot more clear cut by the yeah, end, especially yeah, like, yeah. Uh, you said something interesting um, to me not too long ago about DiCaprio looking increasingly like gaunt and ghoulish yeah, yeah. I don't know if that was a deliberate thing there of, of you know your your allegiance is slowly slipping away from him and his plight <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. change his teeth I mean he did it in Django didn't they yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I don't know if it could have been done any other way it's, 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 uh, that's, that's really interesting actually I, I know and I know those criticisms have been levelled on the film yeah, I think that whilst, of course, it is addressing a period of history and a very horrible period of history, mm. bringing it to the forefront in a way which, to many people which may not know a great deal about it, I think predominantly it is about that sort of from the perspective of the settler, from the colonizer, from the, yeah. the oppressor in this situation. Yeah, and how the way it is reflected on is riddled by guilt. Yeah, you know, and a lot of you know, the, the later stages of the film. DiCaprio is riddled by guilt, yes. you know, but he's st- but he's still his guilt prevents him from being honest with her. There's that bit in the film where he, which she oh, says, because obviously yeah. he's been poisoning her slowly mm. uh, whilst giving her insulin. Yeah, and she she asks him, what what were you putting in 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 the syringe? And he just says insulin. Yeah, and it's yeah. that almost like that guilt is preventing him from properly being honest with her and, and, and possibly reconnecting with her. Yeah, on the basis of that, and I think. That to me spoke about the film's perspective and why I think it was important that it focused on that because, uh, yeah. again, there's a uh, the opposite argument is valid absolutely, but mm. I just feel that the film is about that white perspective on that as the perpetrator. Okay, yeah, and I don't yeah. think the film necessarily sugarcoats that really. No, I no. don't think any any of the characters come out looking particularly good. No, <laughs> not really. No, as they should. Terrible. Yeah, yeah. And I think. You know, that's I think what Scorsese is focusing on. I think 
obviously the elements of the injustice that those people had to endure during that period mm. obviously it, it makes it harder to sort of balance that out with the mediations on the kind of guilt yeah through the complicity 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 sorry <laughs> DiCaprio's character chiefly yeah, yeah but I think it's important that we have films that focus on that perspective because it's a perspective that isn't it's seldom really sort of obviously we need to have films from the from the perspective of the people that suffer this mm. um, injustice and this horror but I think to have it from this opposite side also I think is quite important and quite interesting and I think it, it, it should be used to stimulate discussions mm. nowadays from our perspective about you know about our history and about how that has informed the the way we live now. Yeah, you know? and yeah. I think that's something that's really important and is all too often ignored. Yeah, if, if you think about it in the context of sort of going a bit off piece here, but no, yeah. in the context of like English history and oh my god, yeah, colonialism, it's not something that's really lingered on for very long. No, it's something that I've only recently started to delve into a bit more. It's, it's mental, like Ireland and even Australia and stuff. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, there's the lots Commonwealth of Commonwealth and things, stuff. And that's been done and, and a lot of the horrible stuff is part of the reason why what well, is the reason why England is, is the is the powerhouse it was and, yeah. and, and the you know that its position that it holds globally although it's definitely dwindling is still significant enough that yeah all those now. countries had to take it back though it's yeah, funny we never yeah. gave it to them yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. it's horrible when you look at it and you're like they had to fight for their independence it's not like, like oh yeah we were horrible here you go yeah yeah like, they had to actively fight for yeah. that and it's um, yeah or it was like we were so financially knackered from the war that we yeah. sort of went oh yeah you know <laughs> yeah we've taken never everything a, we can from you now like you know never came from a place of love did it it's nasty um, yeah there was no altruism yeah know? but um, yeah and I, think, I think that's why it's interesting sort of going a bit off piece there but I think no, no, no. you know I think that's why it's important that the film has that perspective and I think it's mm. interesting that it was from that perspective um, yes I think it needed to be and I think the story would have been a lot, sh- a lot shorter and a lot different. I mean, not to say that it would have been interesting. It would have been very interesting for Scorsese, especially <coughs> to make a film from the perspective of the Assange people. Um, I just, I think he's never afraid to have a, for want, lack of a better word, a protagonist who is, as it turns out, morally bankrupt or just misled to the point of being evil yeah, which is yeah. things what happens with DiCaprio's character because um, I think he d- here's a question for you really quickly do you think he actually loved her I think he does yeah yeah, yeah I agree yeah, yeah I think he does <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of his behaviour and again going back to that sort of white guilt thing that I think the film handles quite int- really well yeah Scorsese on Catholic yeah guilt, yeah again guilt stuff, yeah, yeah yeah it's like <laughs> about how these things happen and about how some people are complicit to it and mm it's the great tragedy of the film that even though something is pure as love which I do think he feels towards her yeah, is yeah. undermined by that sort of fear yeah. the fear of upsetting the apple cart so to speak you mm. know what I mean or yeah, or, yeah in this case um, you know his uncle who's this obviously very powerful figure in his life yeah um, there's that fear about going against him yeah uh, I think there's obviously, obviously I think there is you know, a desire to take what's he allegedly his, you know, which yeah. again is troubling, incre- you know, increasingly so as the film goes on. Yeah. Um, hmm. 
But I do think there is something in there in, in terms of it. I think there is something vaguely genuine in, in his relationship with her. I do, yeah, I totally think you're right. Yeah. Which makes it even more disturbing, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If it was a, a bit more straight-laced in that context, it would still be fucking horrible. But mm. the idea that you can love someone and then still knowingly destroy their life quietly, it, yeah. it, it gives that thematic element of the film, the broader thematic element, more potency. Yeah, Because completely. it speaks to the idea about how you know, it wasn't just it was wasn't just you know the the sort of overt mass murder of the people that destroyed that, that put them in that position. It was the slow destruction of everything, yeah. their culture, their way of life, who they were, all through the guise of friendship. Yeah, and I think in that context, it really works. It's funny, yeah. It's almost like he's been duped into thinking this that this land is his and the money is kind of his and belongs to him and it's his birthright. Yeah, but also the the human side of him is like, no, yeah, but I still. I still want to love, right? Yeah, and I've met someone yeah. who I'm genuinely delighted to be around, but it has to be on my terms, and she has to be, she, she has to come into my life and adopt my values. But I still love her. It's so yeah, it's yeah, really it's bizarre, interesting. Isn't it? it's yeah. One of the real strengths of the film, I thought. Yeah. Sorry. What about the runtime? Uh I I'm gonna I don't know I've I'm denied about this. I, I thought that it was really well paced. I thought that weirdly the soundtrack kind of helps with that. Yeah, it's yeah. got like a beat to it quite a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. It was never disinteresting. I think it could have been two hours forty-five though. Like I really do. And even like right at the end, there's title cards which explain what happens to a bunch of the characters afterwards. And you're like, this is a three and a half hour film. <laughs> yeah, Why are you yeah, giving yeah, me, you could have that. put all that in the film. If you're going to make it three and a half hours, don't do the expository thing. I don't like that. You know, you know seven years later, this happened, yeah, this happened. Yeah. I'm like, mm, you're just lazy. I'm sorry, Thelma. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I do think it's too long. And I know, again, I said it earlier, it's like a it's a stock criticism that people have about long films. It's, it's too long. But it is too long. <laughs> um, I just, uh, yeah, it could have been 2 hours 45, but I, I, th- I think a lot of the stuff they could have cut is just, like, beautiful landscape shots or, mm. like, scenes of DiCaprio getting off a train. Stuff like that. Not Not entire scenes. Every scene deserves to be in this film and has a purpose. Even the scene, that weird scene at the end where it becomes like a silent play. Yeah, I yeah. quite liked that. And they, you know, have every right to keep that in. But, you know, I just, I just think that editing, there's something that could have been done just to kind of trim the fat a little bit to make it... Still still needs to be a long film, right? And the, the very last shot especially definitely needs to be in there. It's like a drone shot of uh, present day, I think, mm. of uh, uh, Native American celebration, I think it is. Uh, and it's a drone shot that kind of goes up. Um, that You know, all that stuff can stay, but yeah. Too long, sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, 2 hours 45, what do you think? I mean, I, I, I think... Um, I went to see it with my friend Alex and he said the same he was like it was too long like he he, he wasn't bothered by the runtime, but he said there were a lot of shots that could have been trimmed yeah yeah I agree I, yeah. I, I think I think there is something in that but I am yeah, maybe sort of showing my sort of romanticised view of it a little bit and my Scorsese fanboying maybe a bit but <laughs> I like I think if it was anyone else like a young sort of filmmaker doing it like like even Ari Aster, maybe, right? Yeah, yeah. but even then, that didn't afraid. bother me too much. But, like, <laughs> I don't know, like, I think about like, the new Batman film. That was three hours, wasn't it? It was, yeah, yeah. And, like, I didn't actually dislike the film. I quite enjoyed that film. But, like, mm. I did think three hours, this is ridiculous for a yeah. Batman film. But with Scorsese, the stage of the life he's in, 
and given the landscape of the film industry which he's sort of critiqued about then again there are quite a few three hour films these days but I don't know I, it's it, three and a half though this yeah it's that just, extra half an hour that really fucked me off taking the piss <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just think it, I don't know maybe it is a more, much more romantic view and it's sort of inhibiting my sort of critical uh, faculties a little bit but I quite liked that about it okay um, yeah, yeah. It, it, it did feel like an ordeal being in there for that long yeah this is it yeah it's just no matter I'm so sweaty how... by the end but yeah. I was quite unwell I drank lots of Lemsip before I went in and I was oh. just, I, think I lost about three stone into the chair <laughs> but, you know I don't know I, I I think it's a valid criticism and I wouldn't begrudge people for having it um, but I my romantic view of it is that it was fine I think you know just despite the really interesting engaging themes the, the 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 pace of it the ferocity of it and like the kind of brutal nature of the story and all of this stuff which is kind of packaged really nicely into this near perfect film you're like despite that you're still testing people's patience like <laughs> yeah, you just yeah, yeah. are it's just that is just the nature of three and a half hours you can't make people do anything for three and a half hours right like it's really difficult like imagine one of the n- nicest meals you've ever had you know like, i'm gonna make it for myself and you open the recipe book that you spent 20 quid on because you're like i must have this dish and you're like fucking three and a half hours it takes three and a half hours to cook this yeah, like yeah. jesus no christ like even though it's the most delicious thing ever it's a stupid analogy by the way <laughs> sorry but like it's just like annoying it's an annoying amount of time to do anything yeah <laughs> apart yeah. from maybe sleep i don't know um but yeah two hours two hours 45 man just uh maybe i'll have a go at blading it down <laughs> it'll probably <Yeah>. be shit <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and i'll come groveling back to thelma and be like, i'm sorry i said that on the podcast yeah yeah that you she, she's livid yeah, yeah. Hi, you wait mate she's livid <laughs> um yeah what performances i mean strong across the board right there's no real weaknesses yeah brendan fraser because yeah because yeah. he is is taking quite a lot of flack I oh, know. I mean, he's so obviously, him, obviously he had the, you know, the, the, the what the was the phrase that was called when he came back after? Oh, uh, I call it the phrase naissance. Phrase renaissance. Yeah, for yours. Yeah, yeah same. Um, <laughs> you know, obviously, you know, the whale, a uh, film that we reviewed. Yep. Or talked about quite a while ago now. Both yeah. weren't as keen on it, but both the performance had, was great. Yeah, right? quite yeah. a lot of praise for him. It's weird to see him in a film, and he's really, he feels like he's really hamming it up. I don't want to talk about him for too long because he's not in the film that much. But yeah. he's got a lot of flack for it, and I don't. I can see why because it's a pretty larger than life performance. Mm. Uh, but it didn't bother me too much. No, I feel like you know we've it's been overblown a bit. Yeah, same. I thought it was quite funny. Uh, it was weird. It yeah, definitely was yeah. weird. It is, and I think the characters. Yeah, Apparently in the book he's like that as well. Uh, so in a, you know, in a, in the capable hands of Scorsese, you got to think like I don't think that was Fraser's decision to act it like that. I think that was like in rehearsals he was told to do that for a reason and for whatever reason, in the eyes of some it's backfired. I don't think it has at all. And no. I think it was, I thought it was quite a welcome addition. I was waiting for him to appear. Actually, I yeah, was, yeah, I, I kind of like, forgot that he was supposed to. I was I, three hours in, I was like, "What the fuck's Brendan where, where Fraser?" The fuck's Brendan, yeah, <laughs> he's, he's on the poster, man. Like, yeah, yeah. Was he the poster? Uh, his name was on some of them, uh, not him, okay. not him. As <laughs> just like him, like massive in a poster. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I thought he was good. I, I thought, yeah, I could see why people say that he hammed it up, and it was an odd addition in the context of the other performances, which is a lot more natural i suppose yeah um, yeah yeah uh 
speaking as an English person who has never been to that part of the world, maybe the accents were massively hammed up as well. I don't know. Yeah, but um, no idea. Seemed, yeah. Sounded pretty good to me. Yeah, yeah. De Niro, great, always great. DiCaprio, great, doing a bit of a De Niro impression at times with his mouth. Yeah. You know, that kind of like I think he was I think he was a fantastic performance. I think yeah, I, I, yeah. I really think this is up there with his best work. Yeah, I I did really rate him. <coughs> And the ability, just the sort of sheer, the ability to just, I guess, not be afraid to become that character, like entirely, because you, you know, you might there might be an ego thing with certain actors to, to be like, no, there's got to be some redeeming features about this guy, right? Let's write in that maybe, maybe he admits it or something. But yeah. he didn't do that. He really went into that. No, this guy is misguided, but ultimately very bad yeah yeah uh gladstone as well i hope she gets an oscar no, i really do I thought she was great. i would be surprised if she didn't to yeah, be honest yeah. i know you know and I, I don't mean that in a way that she wouldn't deserve it because she's superb in the film mm. um but i would be you know just the way the oscars are i'd be yeah. surprised if they didn't um yeah no agreed yeah. but yeah no, she's fantastic i mean it's it's um there's been a couple of roles this year in films where actresses have either been and done some TV work or had very limited work and have come into a, a mm. big release and just absolutely smashed it. Yeah. I think yeah. like Return to Soul. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like fantastic. And she's, yeah, another welcome addition to that sort of little growing cluster of yeah actors sort of popping up seemingly out of nowhere. I mean, I'm not that well versed in TV, so I don't know. I think Gladstone, I think she was in the TV series or something. Yeah. Or maybe a few films, like quite small films. I don't know. I mean, yeah, smart casting, yeah, uh, for sure, and quite yeah, reasonably respectful casting as well. Could have easily cast uh, someone white in it, basically. I don't uh, think that would chime well with the time these days. Definitely not. And, and, and I'm not saying that from, as a, from a critical perspective. I'm just saying that. Yeah, you know, uh, thankfully, people are sort of pushing because it's you know why wouldn't you have someone yeah, from, exactly, from yeah. that background in the film? It's Completely, just, yeah, yeah, in this day and age. Not to. Even like five or six years ago, it would have been like slightly more commonplace, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exodus, gods and kings, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. None of these people are Egyptian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's strange. <laughs> yeah, um, no, she was great, and like I said earlier, there, there's a lot of there's about a sizable portion of the film where she's bedridden and doesn't have a lot to do um, in terms of like physicality, and the fact that she can still capture your attention that and become less of a passive character despite being bedridden is really interesting I thought that yeah, was really cool yeah. as well yeah good stuff yeah good where would it sit for you in the context of his more recent films uh, Head of the Irishman probably ahead of Wolf of Wall Street as well oh, definitely for me yeah. Uh, yeah I think probably better than Silence as well actually thinking about see, it see I really liked Silence yeah uh, we, saw it, we saw it actually at the we cinema. did yeah, yeah. <laughs> fucking hell many moons ago <laughs> I think it was an original Cineboys episode if memory just serves me correctly yeah because Alfie came to see it yeah, as well yeah yeah, yeah. Jesus. fucking hell <laughs> yeah time. I don't know where it sits I, I, in terms of a ranking I just uh, which is stupid because I'm the one that asked the question no, I no. definitely think it's better than Wolf of Wall Street yeah, is it better than the Irishman? I think, I think so. Probably nice. I mean, I really like the Irishman a lot myself, so it just shows how much I like this one. I'd be interested to know how it, if, if I ever get enough time to rewatch it, how it would hold up. Yeah, same actually. I'm gonna re- rewatch it at some point. It might be a year or two before yeah. I pick it up again. Yeah, yeah especially because yeah. I don't have Apple TV. Um, that's with the streaming platform it's going to oh, be released yeah. on. Did you see the old logo at the beginning? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's his best film in quite a while, actually. 
Definitely better than Shutter Island. I quite like Shutter Island, actually. <laughs> but um, I don't even want to say return to form because his, even his recent work's been great. But um, I can't really rank it at the moment. It's pretty yeah, much pretty high up there. That's a pretty stupid question. No, no, no. I like, I like, I like the uh, the idea of ranking it. I just can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't yeah. actually. Um, I always find it really hard to, to sort of get my head around the, having the balls to to rank everything that he's done, particularly <laughs> more recently. Cause it's yeah, been, yeah. It's a little bit less clear cut I think obviously in comparison to a lot of his older work there's probably an argument that maybe it's not as good as his best stuff obviously yeah but I really like in a way that because it did feel almost like a gangster film in, in parts there were elements of the film that were kind of gangstery yeah bits like set in the cave talking about moonshine and the cave the yeah, stuff in the cave yeah. and but- even like the executions felt sort of quite gang they were, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like. He he's so nonchalant about the way he um, films people getting shot. <laughs> he doesn't like. There's no. He doesn't dress them up at all. It's not stylistic like, either, which I think is is important mm, in yeah, the presentation yeah. of the way of life. If you think about the context of his gangster films, it's about that way of life. It's yeah. just a fact. Mm. Um, yeah. And in this particular example, it's just a fact of the time that people. Yeah. You know, the Osage, First Nation people were just being murdered in that fashion. Yeah, yeah. Rem- without remorse. So I think in that way, it, it, it's shocking for sure. Mm. But it makes it more shocking almost. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's important in that context that it's framed that way. Yeah. I think I'll if it's stylized, you lose something. Yeah, you, you're into Tarantino territory there. Aren't yes, you? which yeah. in the context of this film and the, the intention of this film, which is to highlight the plight of the, the First mm. Nation and, and what they had to endure, I think it would have been very misguided to do any <laughs> yeah. other way. Window dressing up the murder scenes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not as cool as he would, but... No, no, yeah. <laughs> no. no, fantastic. Yep. Great film. Definitely good. Uh, it is too long, in my opinion, but it is still worthwhile. It's worth your time, I'd yeah. say. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Definitely. Interestingly, I heard a criticism from a few people actually too short (laughs) (laughs) yeah the film was quite predictable really Mm. okay I mean it's based on true events so that's kind of how I would felt about that criticism yeah I can understand what I can I get it I think in the context of Scorsese's work more broadly it's also quite predictable yeah yeah Um, but I think yeah that's true actually but I think you know when you're doing a film that is based on a book that is based on a historical event it's Mm. kind of you know there isn't really you can't really be like twisty and turny can you you've got to sort of just yeah you know do the duty with the story you've been given I mean and the history yeah which is so important I didn't I literally didn't consider that as a thing I just thought it was an interesting aside before the outro before we yeah, it's off to the outro. Absolutely, yeah. No. So it's probably quite a big can of worms to throw in at the end. But <laughs> oh my god, so much to say all of a sudden. <laughs> no. Yeah, uh, it's it's gripping. That's what I'd say. So it doesn't matter if it. it, it I didn't even. I I was wasn't trying to predict it. No. <laughs> so, that, so in that, sense, I was happy to have my hand held. Yeah, yeah. yeah no it felt worries. like yeah, and the Scorsese is mm. really good at that experience. I think. Mm, yeah, definitely. Good. Nice. Right, great outro. Outro. Ooh, no, I'm joking. Questing the cinematic There we have it. Yes. Good to uh, sort of ease back into the world of uh, podcasting by discussing one of the most anticipated films for me, anyway, the last few months. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, one of the big boys, the big man. Yeah, yeah. Highly anticipated release. Yeah, good film. Mm. Good film. Yes. Uh, Next week... So we're gonna we've got a we've got a little bit of a you know we, you know we we've got a few films lined up two yeah. <laughs> uh, so the first one is going to be the killer 
Yes. David Fincher mm. uh, on Netflix at the moment. I haven't seen it yet. You have. I have, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're a big Fincher fanboy, aren't you? By yeah, your own I, I think in the last two or three years, I've realised just how much I like him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, no, here. I don't have a lot of bad words to say about Fincher. Um, so, yeah, I, I know you are you like him as I love him. As well, yeah, but... great. I don't think I like him as much as you, okay, but yeah, I am yeah. a big fan. Um, we do want to discuss him in a deep dive, so... I'm sort of reticent to say that he'll be a big part of discussion. Obviously, there'll be elements of it because you can't not talk about mm. his work when discussing any of his films because there's a lot of certainly visual and thematic motifs that you know, carry through all of his films. Very distinguishable. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm. He's one of the most distinguishable modern filmmakers, certainly stylistically speaking. I oh, think. Yeah, yeah, you just know it's him. Yeah, a mile <laughs> off. Um, so yeah, we'll obviously we'll talk a little bit about Fincher. We'll yep. also talk about the um, the Hitman in cinema, Hitman films. Yeah, man. a topic we've not discussed. No, I know it's just it's such a huge area of amazing and sometimes shite <laughs> films that <laughs> you know it's just yeah it's like almost like the boxing film as a in, in just in in the sense that there are more than you'd expect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I what, guess it is a genre like maybe like a subgenre really because it tends to be under the sort of under the you know the umbrella of like action or thriller. Yes. So like you know, but I think as a subgenre, yeah. You, I think after a bit of cursory research, we're going to be more surprised than we already are about how many <laughs> sort of hitman films yeah. that exist. <laughs> uh, the week after that, uh, Napoleon. Yes. Uh, again, a film that I'm quite intrigued about. So. Um, Trailer didn't necessarily sell it to me, to be honest. Uh, I thought, you know, Joaquin Phoenix, great, visually stunning, uh, but the use of soundtrack and stuff, I just feel like we're going to get something that oh, yeah. isn't going to be that concerned with history. Yeah, or which mi- isn't necessarily a, yeah, yeah, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Mm. You know, like, I don't know, we can maybe get into that and talk about what the responsibility of a historical biopic is in terms yeah. of particularly a film that clearly has its eye on you know, broad appeal. Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah, that's a couple of weeks away. So yeah, first up, Fincher, the Hitman film, The Killer, week after that. Napoleon. Napoleon, the, histo- the mm. historical biopic. Biopics in general and a bit about Ridley Scott. Yeah, sounds yeah. good. Nice. nice. Lovely. Nice. Uh, in the meantime, enjoy this episode. Mm. It's great to be back. We love you. We uh, love you too. We love you what? so much. Yes. <laughs> too. <laughs> we well. love you too. We just ex- we just hope we're just expecting. <laughs> we're just expecting they'll go telling us that yeah, we <laughs> that they love us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Have a good week. Lots of love. Bye bye. See ya.